Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being a part of Streams family. We will talk with you very soon. All right. Good morning, church. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> All right, so my name's Tony. I've been at the church for 13 years, and they finally let me come up here to talk the whole time. <laughs> happy 2022, happy new year. Um, so it's New Year's time, that's time for resolutions. Raise your hand if you made a resolution. <laughs> Man, there's only like five people. Uh, so the most, anybody, what would you guess to be the most popular resolution? Exercise. Yeah, I think it's, it's that, that idea of exercise or eat healthier, whatever it is to get fit. And I think if we were all honest, really what it is is we want to look like a movie star, right? We all want to look like some, some, there's someone we want to look like. And so I've made that resolution myself, but I'm not hiding it behind the veil of I'm going to eat healthy. I'm actually just telling you I want to look like a movie star. Now, the movie star I want to look like is the dad from Teen Wolf, because I feel like I've already got a head start. Like if, you, if, I, if I brush this up like I do in the mornings, you'd see it was pretty, pretty good stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of, it's, it's funny as I was thinking about this, uh, you, guys, you guys know the movie, right? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly old, I'm close to 50 now, but uh, the, I love that scene where, the, where you know, Scott's freaking out because he's starting to turn into the werewolf, and then he opens the door, he's like, Dad, you're not going to be ready for this, and he opens the door and he's like, hmm. He's just standing there looking like that. And I was like, as a kid, when I watched that, I was like, oh, that's such a good moment. His dad, his dad understands. And so I thought, oh, I could use that in the message. God understands. You're never going to surprise God. That's what I figured I'd start with. But anyway, all right, so uh, moving on. We are going to reset. So the whole point, like uh, Sean was just talking about in the, the video that he just did, was the idea that we're going to reset. And so it's the beginning of a new year. It's time to start refresh, um, time, time to refresh and start new. Uh, to me, it reminds me of like uh, opening day of baseball. I don't know about you. I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, I love the Kansas City Royals, 2014 and 15. Those were our years back to back. Other than that, it's been a little downhill since then. But I love opening day because everybody's in first place. Nobody's lost yet, right? <laughs> And so New Year's, to me, feels like that. Every year, at the beginning of New Year, I'm like, ooh, haven't done anything wrong yet. Nothing's broken. <laughs> Everything seems to be working, you know. It's, it's January 1st. And so now here it is, January 2nd, and I'm still doing okay. Um, so we're going to start, and we're going to look at refreshing, um, refreshing and getting, getting into some of these rhythms of life. And as a Christian, there are certain rhythms that should be a part of our life, but uh, we need to... Focus on them, I think, and, and like we've done in the past, we've done this for years, where at the first of the year, as a church, we fast for 21 days. And so today, I'm going to go a little bit into some, hopefully bringing some new ideas to you on prayer, and some ideas also on fasting. Um, I've got two points today. It's a two-point sermon. So, now when, I, when, when anyone preaches, you know, a good preacher has three points. I'm, I'm giving you two. Um, <clears throat> but... Typically, it's not the points that you remember. Usually, it's some random little sentence in the middle of it that I may not even remember that I said that you might take away from this. So hopefully, there is something, at least one thing, that sticks with you when you leave today. 
Uh, I know that I've heard thousands of messages over my life. My dad's a pastor, so I was a preacher's kid, grew up in church. Um, and most messages, I don't remember the points. I remember the person, and I remember maybe one thing that they said. And so hopefully you get something like that today. Um, can you handle two points, though? Two points is easy, right? The Chiefs are on. They're on at 11, so you know we're going to be done on time. <laughs> All right. So first we're going to talk about prayer. Um, when I was young, as I, as I grew up in the church, I mentioned, you know, there was often, like, I grew up in the Midwest a little bit, and church was different. Like, you had, the, you had a, like, a literal, like, communion altar at the front of the church, and there were big golden seats next to it and stuff. And, and when someone came up to pray, it was very formal. And there are times, honestly, in my life that I find formal prayer very rich. But when we pray, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think the honest truth is, I think nowadays in our current culture, most Christians know that it doesn't have to be formal. But I want to remind you, it should be like talking to your friend. Um, one of my favorite songs, someone else is going to remind me of the name of the, the artist, but it's Dad, I've Been Watching You. Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. This little boy who's watching his dad. And in one of the scenes, or one of the, the scenes of the song, I guess, if you will, uh, he prays. He gets down on his knees and he prays to God like he's talking to a friend. And he, the boy says, I learned that from you, Dad. And that's honestly the way it should be. When we pray, it should be like we're talking to our friend. There can be a certain amount of of awe and respect for, for our, our God, our Lord, the one that created us, like the author, but he still wants to be our friend. He doesn't want to be this absent, distant person. I mean, that's the whole reason Jesus came, and that's the reason his spirit dwells within us, is so that we can have connection to him. When I look at the Old Testament, you know, um, this morning you were, you were mentioning the old ways, like the old covenant and the new covenant. By the way, thank you, Joella. I, I, this was my first chance to be up here, and I want to say how much I appreciate what Joella does for us. Um, she, she's, I know you don't need applause necessarily. I'm just, I, I, she, she leads the prayer group, and so my wife and I have been on the prayer team, and I have just found her to be very encouraging and very much a source of a lot of peace and comfort here. So I appreciate that. But she was talking about the old, the old covenant and the new covenant. And the old covenant was like killing animals and stuff like that. And the old way of doing things was you had to go to the priest, and the priest would pray for you. Now it's not like that anymore. You go straight to God yourself. God has opened the door. He, like, you know, when, when Christ died and the, and the curtain was torn in the temple from top to bottom... God said, I'm here with you. It's almost like heaven right now, if you think about it. I mean, heaven, they say, the dwelling of God will be with men. And so if you think right now, the Holy Spirit is God's spirit and it lives within us, so it's really like heaven already has already started to an extent. God is here living with us right now. He is that close friend. Um, so Sean actually found a, an interesting idea that he thought would be helpful for everybody, and we're actually showing this to the kids in church too. If you can put up the hand... So this was a, an, an, a good tool to help as far as sometimes thinking about prayer. We've got five hands. Or, anybody got five hands? I do. If I had five hands, man, I'd be so good at sports. Please catch me at ping pong. Okay, so five fingers. So family and friends on your thumb. So that's the closest one to you. So the idea is the family and the friends, that's who you pray for first. The people that are closest to you. Next, you've got leaders and teachers. So that would be like people that are in your life. So that would be praying for Sean, praying for the leaders of this church, praying for your boss, praying for people that are leaders or teachers in your life. 
the, as Sean referred to it, the tall finger is for the government and authority. I think he referred to it as the tall finger on purpose because we all might think, ah, government and authority, that fits. Um, no, God, Jesus commanded it. He said, pray for those that are in authority over your life. Pray for your government. Pray for your leaders who are making decisions. This is such a weird, weird time. I keep trying to tell my, my children. I'm like, you guys don't understand. My whole life, people have voted for president and stuff like that, and it's made, I feel like, very little impact on my day-to-day -day life. But nowadays, the government has a lot more impact on our daily life. We need to be praying for them like crazy. We need to be every day praying for Biden all the way down through our state governments and into our local governments. We need to be praying for people that are making decisions about our lives because it matters. Uh, next, uh, the ring finger. Uh, Sean said that that's the weakest finger. I, don't, I was like, I wonder if there's a study on that because my ring finger is pretty strong, man. But the ring finger is supposed to be your weakest. And so with that, we pray for the weak. We pray for the sick. Man, today we'd pray a long time if we were praying for the sick, right? Everybody's a whole bunch of people out of here. Um, but we, that's the fourth finger, so that's the next focus. And finally, your last one, your pinky finger, represents you. And you pray for yourself last. So this morning, I believe in Children's Church, too, they're going to go over this idea. So when you, if you have kids, uh, I would recommend talking to them about that. Take a quick snapshot with your phone, because you're not going to remember, except for the government one. You'll remember that, because it was a good joke. <laughs> but take a quick snapshot, because I would talk to your children about it. As a family, this is a together to work on praying as a family and focusing how you're going to pray. So there's a good story in the Old Testament um, about a king, a king of the, Jew, uh, the Jewish people who prayed to God and he clearly moved God's heart. He changed God's heart. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about. I mean, we all pray to God and we ask him for various things in life and I don't know that we're genuinely hoping that we could change God's mind. But this guy did. He hoped for that, and he got it. So let's look together at Second uh, Kings, verses, or chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. So Hezekiah is the king. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was to the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So I think of this as like a, I try to visually picture some of these stories. So I'm picturing Hezekiah, the king of, of, of the Jewish people. He's sick. He's laying down in bed. Isaiah comes in and says, hey, I got news for you. It's not going to get any better. Do what you need to do because this is, you're not going to recover from this. This is going to be the end. He rolls away from Isaiah and faces the wall and starts to cry. Like a grown man, a king of God's people just starts bawling. And he prays to God and he says, remember how I walked for you faithfully. Remember my wholehearted devotion. And what's interesting is the scripture doesn't actually record that he says, please give me more time. He just rolls over, cries, and says, God, remember how devoted I am to you. I find, that, I find it so interesting as I think about the way that he was able to um, move God. So let's first learn a couple things about Hezekiah. Ooh, sorry. He's a faithful king. Now, he wasn't just saying this himself. If you look at scriptures and read about Hezekiah, he was incredibly faithful. 
If anything, he was like super vanilla, the kind of guy that doesn't do things wrong. I mean, the guy with no edge. It's, this is why they haven't given me a chance to speak up here for 13 years is because I think they were concerned about what edge I might bring to the, you know, the official. Um, Hezekiah had no edge to him. He was 100% faithful, focused, and devoted to God. That's the kind of life that he led. And in this prayer, he expresses his emotions to God. Have you ever done that? I mean, I would imagine that you have. Um, Back on Mother's Day, Jennifer and I, we came up and we told a little bit of our story about um, our journey to parenthood and talking about how we struggled with infertility and then we did fertility treatment stuff and then we also did the foster care at the same time and ended up adopting our three kids. Um, With the fertility treatments, the second time we tried, we got a positive. We actually, they called us and they said, congratulations, it's, it's a positive, you're pregnant. And we were, of course, as you might imagine at that point, thrilled. For three or four days, that's, that was the life we were living. We, we thought, we're going to have a kid. And we were very excited about it. You know, we run out to Target, buy the first little baby outfit. Um, start looking at and pricing cribs or whatever. And so we were getting very excited. Well, my wife, Jen, also, she has a heart condition that started to make her heart beat rapidly. And so we had to go to the, to the ER. And we get down to Banner Good Samaritan. Um, that's a whole other fun story. If you ever want to know a fun story about Jen and her heart, it was interesting. But I'm not going to divert on it right now. While we're there, though, they do a blood test and, and urine and all that stuff. And at the end of it all, when they get her heart kind of corrected, they come in and tell us, by the way, we did the tests. You're not actually pregnant. And so we were crushed. So we're sitting there in the ER for... I don't even know how many hours, because part of the thing had to do with her heart rate, and then when you give us such soul-crushing news at the moment, her heart rate starts to elevate again, and so they weren't letting us leave the hospital. They finally were able to get it down, and they let us leave. Um, we got home, and it was, I don't even know what time of day. We, I remember that we sat down on the floor in our dining room, and we were both saddened, and I got up and left Jen there, And I went into the room that was going to be the room for the kid that we thought we were going to have. And I started to yell at God. I mean, I was pissed. I was yelling at God. And then I felt horribly guilty. Who yells at God? So I come back in. Now I'm crying. I mean, I was earlier, but I come back in. I'm crying. I sit back on the floor with Jen. She comforted me with the concept, with the idea that the, the fact that you can be like that with God is it's evidence that your relationship with him is real and true. And God can handle it. God's not going to punish you for getting mad at him. Yes, it's, it's not a good idea. I'm not encouraging anybody to go yell at God. But he can handle it. And as Jen comforted me, it was evidence that I really, I believe in God. I trust in him. He is a friend who I count on. And I felt like I was let down. So it made sense for me to feel that way. And I want to encourage you, let God know your real emotions. Don't treat him like he is some deity, even though he is. Don't treat him like he's some deity that's up there that we have to properly, you know, I'm really not happy about this, Lord. No, you can be yourself. He invites you to be like that, to be yourself. Sorry, I lost my spot. All right. Next up, we're going to go to the next verse. 2 Kings 4, 24 through 5. So after he expresses his emotions, after he cries and he's, he's broken, 
before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. Then he tells him, you've got to go to the temple in three days, and I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. So I love this because I wrote it down here. God honored the request of a righteous man before Isaiah had even left the building. <laughs> like, I, I envision this where Hezekiah is broken. He rolls over. He cries. He prays to God. He pours out his heart. Isaiah doesn't have any other message to say, so Isaiah's like, okay, starts to leave. And Isaiah's not even out of the building. He's walking through the courtyard to leave. And God's like, no, 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 hold on. Go back. Go back up there and give him a different message. Tell him this. Tell him, I'm going to heal him. That I've heard his prayer. I've seen his tears. So one thing for me, so I went to Bible college in Joplin, Missouri. And one of the things they always teach us in Bible college is to recognize that just because something is in Scripture doesn't mean it's for me. Just because God made a promise to Jeremiah doesn't mean that promise is my promise. Which is true. And I, I believe that about when I look at Scripture. However, the character of God doesn't change. And so when I see that God saw his tears and he heard his cries, God still does that for us. That's not a promise or anything, but that's just who God is. He is your God. He is your friend. He is your father. He hears your cries. He sees your tears. So if you are real in the way that you express yourself to him, he's going to see it and he will respond. All right. So a couple things here. God gave Hezekiah 15 more years. So Hezekiah eventually dies, and his 12-year-old son, Manasseh, takes over at that point. So his son, Manasseh, becomes king at age 12. So how many years after the healing was Manasseh born? Three years. If I was Hezekiah, I am telling Manasseh, dude, you are an amazing miracle yourself. I shouldn't even be here, let alone you. And you're here because God Heard my cries. God saw my tears. God answered my prayer and gave me more life. That's why you're here. But I question how much Hezekiah really did that. Because we learn through, we look at scripture, if you read about uh, Manasseh, he was one of the most evil kings that Israel has ever had. So God answered Hezekiah's prayer, or Hezekiah's will, even though... It was not likely God's will. It's not like God wants to have an evil king ruling over his people. God didn't want someone that was going to steer them away from him. But he loved Hezekiah. He saw it and he knew, I'm going to do this for you. That seems amazing to me. Because God gives us free will. We have the chance to do whatever we want. We can, we can choose to accept God or reject him. We choose our journey in life to an extent because of the freedom God gives us. And God let Hezekiah's will trump his own, it looks like in this point, and it actually was, it had a negative impact on the people of Israel. So this takes me to my first point. Point number one. I want to write this down. Prayer should be my effort to align my heart and my will to God's. That's what prayer should be. When Hezekiah prayed, he didn't even ask for more years. There was nothing wrong with Hezekiah's prayer. He just asked God to remember his faithfulness. But how many of you guys, like, you pray for things. I pray for the chiefs to win. I pray for 
various things in my life that have, not, I mean, every Cincinnati Bengals fan is like, oh, no, pray the, the Bengals win. It's like, no, we pray for things in our lives that don't matter sometimes. They matter to us, and I try to remind myself as a parent, if something matters to Ellie, even though she's 12 at the time, and I know it's not a big deal, it's going to pass, no, it matters to her. It's, it's important to her. So we can pray for those things that are important to us, but the ultimate goal of prayer should be trying to align our will with God's will. Not just making God aware of our will. <laughs> he knows what our will is, but let's try, to, let's try to align ours with him. That's what prayer really should be. When I pray, I, I mean, Jesus prayed in the garden, you know, not my will, but your will be done. He made it clear to God that he didn't want to have to go through all that, but he's like, but not my will, your will. I even, I want to take it personally a step further from just saying, here's my will, hopefully it lines up with yours, God. I want to try to get my will lined up with his. I want to try to get in tune with God enough that my will will become the same as his. That's what prayer should be. So let's shift to fasting for a moment. Fasting's fun. (laughs) So I define fasting, how do I put it here? Denying my flesh to feed my spirit. So this morning, Tim, uh, when we were doing our prayer time before church, Tim talked about how he's done some research about Lent and fasting, and I've done the same thing. Back in 2008, uh, I did a bunch of research on Lent, and I learned that the practice of fasting during Lent predates the Catholic Church. It was actually a practice of all of Christendom, if I'm saying that word right, that's one of those words that I feel like, I'd be like Michael Scott, where I say it kind of close, but not Christendom. All of Christianity, it was something that everybody recognized as a way that we focus ourselves on God during Lent. It's that time of anticipation and looking forward to when Christ rises from the grave and celebration of that. Um, So for me, it became that one year, we did it in 2008, For me, it was a little bit of an idea of putting my body in check. I wanted to remind my body who's in charge. It's my spirit that's in charge, not my body. I want my spirit to be the shot caller. Are there any shot callers in the room? I mean, nobody raising your hand. Come on. Yeah, I know that sounds cocky, right? You don't want to say that. So as uh, an assistant principal, for, for years I was... I'm an assistant principal now at Desert Edge. For years, though, I was a teacher, and then I was a teacher on assignment, and so I would go into teacher's classrooms, and I'd talk to them, and I'd remind them, I have no authority over you, so you don't need to be uncomfortable when I enter the room, or you can be honest with me, because, you know, I have no authority. Now, all of a sudden, I'm an assistant principal, so it is different when I walk in the room. Like, when I walk in the room, and I don't mean for it to be, I don't want it to be, but, you know, there's this sense of, ooh, Mr. Gardner's here, what, uh, am I stuffing the board right? And so there's just that sense, and so I made the joke with one of the people I work with, I'm like, ooh, I'm a shot caller now. Um, so I want to say, who's the shot caller in your house? Yeah, all the men are like looking at the women and thinking, can I raise my hand? (laughs) So I just got permission from Jen this last week to turn our front room into a sports room because I'm very excited. We have three TVs so we can have multiple games on at once. It was kind of fun yesterday with multiple bowl games on, uh, but it gives you some insight into the shot calling in our home. So historically, fasting has been a thing as far as fasting from food. You fast from your meals. When I did Lent, and I've done it now 10 times, I think, 
I don't know if I'll do it this year. I, I debate every year. Uh, when I fast uh, at Lent, it was always, I only eat dinner, six meals a day. That's it. Um, and I would eat on Sunday, though, anything you want, because every Sunday you're celebrating the resurrection. So every Sunday you get to celebrate Jesus. But did I say something wrong? <laughs> That's the way to fast, everybody. <laughs> One meal a day for six days. <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad, I, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Because otherwise you guys would just be going home thinking, man, that guy's an idiot, doesn't even know what he said. Um, so I would, I would only eat dinner on Monday through Saturday. That's it. No desserts, no sweets, just a moderate dinner. And then on Sunday, like I said, that's celebration day. Every Sunday you celebrate the fact that Jesus rose on a Sunday. And so that's how you get to the 40 days through the six and a half weeks. Um, it's, it's been an amazing experience for me. I tried to write down a few of the, the ideas that I came up with. Um, oh, I'll get to that in a second. So the most famous 40-day fast that all of Christendom would, would, would emulate was Jesus. When Jesus was in the desert, he fasted for 40 days. He didn't eat. Now, he didn't get to have Sundays off. But he fasted for 40 days, and that was when the devil came and tempted him. Before Jesus, there was a guy in the Old Testament who is like a preflection of Jesus, and that's Moses. Moses also fasted for 40 days. Um, can you put up the slide with the little weird diamond? Or there we go, hills. Um, when Moses in the Old Testament, he fasted for 40 days and he did it three times. So with the first fast, this is just a weird little image that I found online that kind of helps to illustrate it, was making the marriage. This was when Moses first went up onto Mount Sinai and all the people were too afraid. They're like, no, 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 you go talk to God. We're not talking to God. And so God said, all right, nobody sets a foot. Nobody touches this mountain, but you come up here, Moses. So Moses goes up on the mountain. For 40 days and 40 nights, he doesn't eat. He is only fed by God, in a sense, and God's presence. And then he comes down with the commandments, the 232, I think it was, whatever. He comes down, and he finds that they have built the golden calf. Because he was up there for so long, they all doubted him. And they thought, maybe he's not coming back. Well, I don't know what happened. Let's make something to worship. And so they made the golden calf. Moses comes down and in a potential tantrum, <laughs> smashes the tablets. And he's like, I can't believe you've done this. You've defied God. He is he's seeking this marriage covenant with you. So then he goes back up a second time. If I was Moses, I would have had a quick snack. <laughs> but I don't know if he did. It doesn't say. But he goes back up a second time. For 40 more days, he's back on the mountain. And he's still waiting, and they're still waiting for him. He comes down the second time with the, with the commandments. He gives them to, them to him. And in those 40 days, that's when he's praying and asking for repentance. And so he comes down and he says, here are God's commands. So now he's fasted for 80 days in a row. He gives the commands to the people. At that point, there is this sense of acceptance from the people, and he goes up one more time basically to connect with God one last time. And he fasts for, again, 40 more days. So that's 120 days. Any volunteers? <laughs> yeah, 120 days that Moses fasted. It said, you know, the, the, everybody I think is probably somewhat familiar with the scripture where it talks about when, when Moses came down off the mountain, his face glowed. And that was after the 120 days. 
He came down after 120 days where God was his only provider. And his face glowed so much that the people were like very nervous around him. He ended up covering him, his face because of it. I, it's just interesting to me. I, this was something I learned as I was preparing for this today. That the 120 days idea and how that is when it connects to when his, his face was so bright because of being in God's presence. Solely God's presence for so long. Eliminating everything else. Um, all right, moving on. So, when I fast, like I said, I eat only six meals a day. <laughs> uh, so maybe you can't do a food fast. Some people, you know, because of their health, for whatever reasons, they can't do a food fast. You're looking at me and thinking, Tony, you could do a food fast. I get it. <laughs> I sucked in. Like, we, we saw this video of me the other day, and I was like fully sucked in the whole time I was being smart about it. Because I always tell my friends when they're taking my picture, remind me to suck my gut in. And so I did that, and I was like, ooh, I look thin. Because, like, my shirt was a little loose in the front. Anyway, yes, I can handle a food fast, um, but maybe you can't do food. That's okay. There's things that you can deny that are still part of your flesh. Uh, maybe you could deny your eyes. What could you deny your eyes of? You could deny them of TV. Not the chosen, of course. You'd still have to have the chosen. We all know that. That's what our church, we're like a sponsor for that. But um, <clears throat> you could deny your eyes uh, social media. You could deny your eyes some of the things with news or whatever. Uh, I wish, girls, I hope that you never want social media. Please stop asking for Snapchat. Um, <clears throat> I hate social media. I have a Facebook account. Not a MySpace. I have a Facebook account. I have six friends on it. One of them's Jen. So I got five friends. That's all I got. And it's five guys from college. It's the only way that I could connect with them. Um, I do nothing with social media. And I wish, I, I really pray that my kids are like, you know what, I don't need it. Uh, because I have felt like social media has kind of become an invitation for criticism so much. It's like there's just so much negativity. As an assistant principal, do we not deal with social media, Idina? Oh, my goodness. That's all we deal with. Every day there is something with social media. She, Idina and I are both at the same school as assistant principals. So it's kind of fun. We can come here. And there's some of our students here, which is also fun. <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple of them like, yeah, how do you feel having two assistant principals at your church? You can never get away. Social media, though, is, is killing people. It's like when, when I think about, you guys may hate what I'm doing up here. You guys might walk out of here and be like, geez, that was the worst ever. Okay, I don't need to read that. <laughs> and so I don't go on social media. So feel free, post all you want if that's how you feel. I'm not going to read it because I'm just, I'm doing what I do and I'm living my life. And it's kind of like, you know, your mom used to say, oh, they're just doing that to try to get at you. It's exactly true. It's what they do in social media. So maybe you might want to take a fast from social media. Maybe you could deny your ears. Maybe you could only listen to K-Love for the next 21 days. Is, 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 did I hear a groan? <laughs> I'll admit, we started listening to K-Love when our kids were young, and that's all we listened to, like, forever. So, um, Anyway, when we fast, we can learn lessons from God that we've never learned before. When, when Jennifer and I fasted before, we talked about the idea that when I'm, no matter how much I eat at dinner, at that one meal a day, no matter how much I eat for dinner, I'm still hungry first thing in the morning. It never satisfies. I'm still starving almost by the time the next night comes. So it reminds me that my body, just like the scripture, the eye never has its fill of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. No matter what, our flesh is never satisfied. 
And so that works both with our passions or with sin, obviously. Uh, Thomas Akempis, I got two books that I would highly recommend. Thomas Akempis, he wrote in one of his books that uh, true peace of heart is found when you resist passion, not yield to it. And by passion, that's not even a sin. It may be something that's valuable to you, something that's important to you. True peace comes when you resist it rather than giving into it. So my second point, that's right, we're finally here. I am running late. Second point, fasting is a physical striving to align my heart to God's will. It is that extra effort. So it's the same as prayer, but it is that extra effort for me. It's a physical effort to try to align my heart to God's will. All right, so I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to have the band come up. But you guys have been great, so you get a bonus point. Um, These practices, prayer and fasting, they require time. That's the one thing that they require. In A.W. Tozer's uh, The Divine Conquest, which is another one of my favorite books, written in the 40s, he has the quote, How much faster does life move now? Oh, no, wait, that's, that's me. I should actually read his quote before I read my response to it. God has not bowed to our nervous haste, nor has he embraced the methods of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. The man who would know God must give time to him. Time is the only finite thing we really have. It's more valuable than money. Is more valuable than water. Time is the only thing that there is a set amount that we cannot change. And we have to give time to him. This was written in the 40s, so I think about how much faster life is today than it was back in the 40s even. It takes time. For me, I used to go on prayer walks. When I was in ministry and I had more time to myself to prepare like this, I would go on prayer walks. And I would pray for like an hour. And you're thinking, how do you pray for an hour? I would go on a walk. I'm walking around like Enoch would, and I would just think about God, and I would pray to him, and I would try to align my will with him, try to learn from him, try to get myself in tune with him. Another great quote in here is, goes, I think, perfect with the COVID time. Uh, this is not a season anymore of COVID, I feel like. I don't know what to call it because seasons don't last two years. Um, <clears throat> in COVID, there have been times that I've thought to myself, is God hindered right now? Is God's ability to meet the needs of people with other people hindered because we're all required to kind of keep this distance? At least it's lightened up a bit. But a year and a half ago, when we're all in our homes and we're not together, I thought, how is God moving? And I know it's foolish to think somehow we as a humanity can stop God from moving. I know we can't. But sometimes we, start to f- we fail to see God in our current situation. We see him in our past, we see him in our future, but in our current, we don't see him. Tozer writes about this idea of consider God to be like this flowing river and you're standing on the banks of the river. You look one direction and you see the river just flowing full force out of your past. You look the other direction and you see the river flowing fully into your future. That same river is right here in your present. That same power of God that you can see in your past. I have miracles that I've seen in my children's stories. That same miracles that were there are in my present. The same stuff that I see and I can picture in my future for this church, for my family, that same God is flowing, undiminished, unhindered in my present right now. 
So hopefully, if nothing else, you can take out of here today one piece of encouragement that God is fully, fully here.